and welcome back to the HR Grapevine podcast. This is a special edition of the podcast and part of a series that we're bringing to you in partnership with Actual Experience. Actual Experience works with people leaders to help build a digital workplace that works for everyone, everywhere, all of the time. Through always-on analytics and consulting, Actual Experience helps to create a level playing field in the workplace. I'm Sophie Parrott, editor of My Grapevine, and this week I'm going to be joined by Dave Page, Chief Executive Officer at Actual Experience, and Harriet Molyneux, Managing Director at HSM Advisory. While hybrid working, of course, comes with new challenges, it's also a chance to improve employee well-being whilst driving the organisation's bottom line. In each episode of this four-part series, we will invite on a new guest, a thought leader from the HR industry, to discuss the unique opportunities facing people leaders right now. So it's a pleasure to welcome you both onto the podcast today. But before we get started, do you perhaps want to just share a little bit about yourselves and your respective roles? Harriet, if I could come to you first. Oh, thank you, Sophie. And it's so great to be with with you today uh, and Dave and talking about a topic that has been really close to my heart over the last 18 months. And I think we probably started thinking about hybrid sometime before that as well. So uh, my organisation is is a research and advisory group. We were founded by Professor Linda Gratton at London Business School. So I've had the pleasure of working with Linda and having my brain stretched by Linda for the past eight, eight years or so. And we, we focus wholly on the future of work. And really specifically, how is it that organisations can redesign work for sustainable high performance. You know, when I entered the workforce, there was quite a common narrative around either joining a career where there was high performance and a fair bit of inflexibility, quite a few hours sat in the office, not much flexibility on where work happened, when it happened, or perhaps a career with a bit more flexibility, perhaps a bit more work-life balance. uh, And uh, certainly in my mind, when I was uh, finishing my master's, lower performance. Uh, And so when I was sitting there closing off that master's, thinking about the kind of career I might want to go into, I think that's hopefully a conversation that we're not going to be or or a decision we're not going to have to be taking in the future. I think that's shifting. So it's been a fascinating uh, 18 months for this conversation and, and one that I'm really looking forward to discussing with you today. And Dave, over to you. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your role, please? Yeah, of course. So thanks you very much, Sophie, and great to be here with you, Harriet, as well. Um, I, I love your bit about stretching your brains because I'm a co-founder here at Action Experience, uh, and my, my co-founder is uh, another professor, Professor Jonathan Pitts from the University of London, and it's about a decade of his research, which we're commercialising here at Action Experience, and, and really the point of his research, his science, was all about can we understand the human experience, what we call the human experience of the digital workplace, and can we translate that into a data set for HR leaders, people leaders, to then drive their business objectives for these days, new ways of working, and really drive forward their agenda on a number of points, as well as around the all-important ESG, DEI space as well. That's what we're about. Ultimately, we're about making the digital workplace work perfectly for everybody everywhere all of time. 
Well, thank you both for just giving us a little bit of an insight into your respective backgrounds and roles. But let's get started with the topic for today. And of course, we will be discussing as we've kind of hinted to so far, the the topic of the future of work and also some of the top priorities and considerations for leaders. So first of all, I wanted to start off really with a stat, which I think really nicely sets the scene for today's podcast episode, particularly around the models of work that employers are adopting and also what the sort of general lay of the land looks like in this area. Actual Experience polled a range of CEOs, CIOs and CHROs in the UK and Europe in its reconfigured report and essentially asked, in the next six to 12 months, what do you expect to be the main model for your office workplace? And I think the uh, the results here are really interesting and a nice segue into today's topic. And what it found was that just 18% are fully back to the office, 12% are fully remote, with the majority, 42%, saying that hybrid, with the emphasis on remote working, came out as, as the top model. So I suppose that does really indicate an appetite for this structure of work going forward. But of course, like with anything and with any changes to workplace structures or general changes to the world of work, this will have follow-on questions for HR about when, where, and also how work will take place. And an additional talking point, I suppose, around whether employers are actually ready for this transition to hybrid. As I mentioned earlier, this is something that we'll be exploring in more detail today. So just also to touch on to a little bit more research, a recent Accenture piece of data found that 63% of high growth companies are set up for hybrid operations, while the majority, 69% of no growth businesses are still concerned with where people will work. Harriet, if I could just come to you on this one, what do you think business leaders should actually be focusing on? Thanks for that, Sophie. And and certainly that's the question that many of my clients are grappling with at the moment in the organisations I'm talking to. And it's a really interesting question. I think first I'd like to take a little step back and just think about where it is that we're right now, just to contextualise my response on that. So when we think about working patterns pre-pandemic, I think we would all agree that for many people in many organisations, working patterns weren't actually quite achieving for us what we wanted to. So I think we saw relative inflexibility. The majority of organisations didn't offer significant flexibility either on place. We were mainly in the office if we're office-based workers or or in the field if we're field-based workers uh, and mainly working in essentially shifts uh, you know our shifts of sort of roughly about eight or nine to about five or six and and probably that wasn't fantastic uh, for our performance I think then when we think about working patterns during the pandemic and and again many of us have spent government enforced time at home remote working again we found we've sort of had blurring of the lines between home and work I have uh, people talking to me about the fact that they're dreaming about work that they really struggle to finish work we don't have that train home anymore so so we're, we're starting to find that quite a strain And I think another significant trend that we're seeing is a shift in expectations of employees. So at HSM Advisory, we have a crowdsourcing platform, we call it Collaboration Jams, that can invite up to uh, half a million people online from an organisation to come and talk about things that are on their minds. And what's been so fascinating to me as we study these massive data sets, we're finding that people aren't talking around the future in terms of 
their aspirations for what it might be, what, what might they potentially want their working patterns to look like. They're saying, this is what I want my working life to look like. And these are the ways that I want to work. I expect to be working from home three days a week. Now, what does this all mean? Well, I think the fact that we didn't quite design work in a way that really enables sustainable high performance, the fact that during COVID we haven't had that either, and the fact that employee expectations are, are, are shifting, I think we're at a real tipping point where we have an opportunity to redesign work around sustainable high performance. And I've said that a couple of times now, what do I mean by sustainable? I mean a high performance culture where people can show up their productive selves and their best day in, day out, not for a week, not in a sprint for a couple of years, but over the long term. And so how do we do this? Well, really what, what you've already alluded to, to a certain extent, uh, Sophie, which is thinking about breaking work down a bit more than how we typically think about it. So currently we often just think about the unit of the job. Well, here when we're thinking about performance, there are really four different factors. There's two which are related to the individual and two relating to the team. So the first is focus. Where do you focus best? Uh, I focus particularly well at home, but I have a dedicated workspace. I have colleagues who sit in a living room with four flatmates and they really benefit from having somewhere to focus in the office. Then there's energy. I am a natural extrovert. I'm much better around lots of people. Uh, but I've got colleagues who actually find that quite exhausting and find it really useful for energy to spend some time working from home. And then cooperation. This is now on the team size of work. So thinking about project management, getting stuff over the line. Actually, I think that works really well virtually and, and, and technology has been a huge um, enabler of that. And then collaboration, what we call the more creative side of teamwork, that either works better face-to-face -face or else needs much more intentionality to really avoid groupthink, to enable people's voices to be heard. So uh, what we realise is each of these benefit from a different configuration of place, so in the office, at home, in a hub, uh, dependent on the individual. And they also benefit from different configurations of time, synchronised with other colleagues, asynchronous for moments of focus. So I suppose my call to leaders is how to put and what I think they ought to be focusing on is how to put sustainable high performance front and center through designing flexibility of place and time to enable their employees to show up productive and happy over the long term. So obviously you've talked us through some of the things that you think leaders should be focusing on with an approach like this. But moving on, and again, I'm going to refer to Actual Experience's recent report, which was titled Reconfigured, which explores how business leaders can get hybrid right. Within that, you kind of discuss why people leaders should focus on micro moments. Can you just explain a little bit more about what micro moments means and also how this can be done? Yeah, so I think a really think interesting thing has happened to people experience over the, the past 18 months. So, uh, And actually, we've been tracking this here at HSM Advisory through a six-month-long study we did with a group of 30 multinationals that are part of our Future Work Research Consortium, which is a group that comes together to talk about uh, significant trends that we're seeing within the future of work and how practically can that be applied to organisations to uh, make them better equipped for the future. Uh, and I think when we think about people experience traditionally, and here I'm talking primarily pre-COVID, 
you'd sort of think about the employee life cycle. You'd think about those moments that matter throughout that employee life cycle. Perhaps what was their first touch point with the employer, their interview process like? Uh, what was it like as they were onboarded the, the first time they got promoted? Maybe what happened, what was that moment like the first time they didn't get promoted? Or the first time they had a major life event outside of work, either, either positive or negative. And whilst those moments will continue to matter as we move forwards, I think what we realised through our study of people experience that we took place during COVID is those moments that matter are becoming a bit more micro. And what do I mean by that? Well, I mean, for instance, the first time that someone comes back into the office, and, and that's happening for a lot of people at the moment, many of my clients are bringing people back into the office, primarily in hybrid patterns, I should say, but some of the time in the week in, in the office this month, next month in November. Uh, so thinking about what was it like the first time they came in and the office was completely empty and they walked away feeling a bit hollow? What was it like the next time they came in? And actually they couldn't get a seat because the scheduling of seats or, or the perhaps just the sheer capacity of the office wasn't quite right anymore. And then what happens when someone realises that the leader that they really admire, that they value their conversations with and they learn from a lot, they quite simply haven't been in the office at the same time during the previous weeks. So I think what we're finding is those micro moments are really important. And what's going to be so crucial is for organisations and leaders to be aware of that and for team leads to be actively designing around those micro moments and making sure that they're, they're good moments, they're positive ones that are designed to help people feel more engaged and more excited about being in the organisation. I thought also as well, some of the, the, the micro moments that you reeled off there, such as when people go back to the office, those sorts of things, I suppose they could be relatively easy achieved with, with the right planning in place. But obviously with hybrid, you know, there is an element of virtual. So Dave, and I'm going to come to you for this one. What would you say in, in terms of digital experience and the importance of micro moments with regards to the digital experience and how they could cause friction and frustration throughout time? Yeah, well, I must admit, listening to Harriet, I was sitting here nodding vigorously at what Harriet was saying. Is, you know, these, these moments, these micro moments are so, so important now. And, and I think there's an opportunity for people leaders to be thoughtful about these micro moments. And as you say, Sophie, the impact of digital over the last 18 months is part of what's lending that opportunity to, to people leaders. And, and from our own work with clients, going back to pre-COVID, we were working with clients un, under the, the central assumption that people would be interacting with the business, employees interacting with the business between 25 and 30% of their time. That would be a digital form of interaction. Those numbers post-COVID have changed really dramatically, and, and now we're working uh, on the basis of 60 to 90%, depending on the role of people's time, is now spent you know, on average interacting with the business digitally, uh, which means that those micro moments are going to be increasingly digital or supported by digital or even entirely digital. Some of those micro moments uh, are going to be. And I, I think that what Harriet was saying what left me thinking was that there was, um, if you like, this sort of ra rapid digitization took place in a period over the last 10 to 15 years in the way businesses interact with customers. And, and actually, when that interaction with customers really took off, or the internet really took off, was when people-centric thinking started to take place 
in the design of how we interacted with, with businesses. And, and for everybody, they're probably thinking of slightly different examples of that people-centric design-based thinking. I mean, people might be thinking of you know, Amazon's one-click idea or the way that Steve Jobs in Apple sort of created an interface where we could interact digitally with enormous numbers of different businesses, very, very straightforwardly and very simple. But that, actually, the point I'm really trying to make here is that that acceleration only really happened when people that cared about people started to rethink how the internet works. And I think given the digitization of the workplace, really, there's an opportunity and a warning, I guess, for people leaders in the sense of the great opportunity for people leaders to step in here and lead and own the thinking about how those micro moments take place across the business. And I think that's actually really important to happen um, because the flip side of the coin is the warning, I guess, which we all to be somewhat aware of is, is that going back to the consumer internet, the, the businesses that got the people-based thinking right and now dominate. And the companies that didn't get that people design-based thinking right rather fell into the backwaters or, or maybe even disappeared altogether. I think that's the sort of warning, the opportunity and the warning of, of design-based people thinking around the digital workplaces. I, I just think that people leaders need to be not only involved, but actually leading and owning um, the creation exercise for the digital workplace throughout the organisation. So yeah, some interesting insights from yourself there, Dave. This brings us on nicely to another question, which I'm interested to get your insights on today, Dave. As we all know, with any kind of employee experience initiatives and those sorts of things, there's always a lot to talk about getting financial investment and also the core term getting buy-in from senior leaders and, and how crucial that is in order to make any actionable changes in the business and to implement new things. So as a CEO yourself, Dave, what would you say are the core aspects that create a winning business case? Just for a moment, yes, putting my CEO hat sort of back on, I, I think there's a, a reasonably obvious idea, I guess, which is that if, if you're going to build a business case really for anything in, in any business, then the closer you can align that business case with the top level objectives of the organization, the more powerful that business case is going to be. And I suspect that's obvious to everybody. But in this case, I, I think the top level objectives for a CEO are probably going to fall into a basic sense, creating a more efficient business or growing the business and an alignment of the business case with either or both of those. But also increasingly now, I think, and, and, and we're, ourselves are, are a public company floated on the London Stock Exchange. The investors themselves are pushing extremely hard, as I'm sure a lot of people know, um, that, that companies act on um, and achieve advances in the ESG, D&I space um, and should demonstrate actionable progress. So if you're a, a top-level objective targeting for your business case, then and actually, there's a, there's a whole range of things there to target. And actually, a lot of that is in the purview of an HR leader or people leader in the sense of growing the business, making it more efficient, focus on ESG or at least some of ESG, D, and I. Uh, one other thought on that is that, I guess, going back two, three years ago, a lot of the data uh, that would have informed the business case would, would have come from typical survey-based data of people in, in the business. The, the, the quality of that, I, I think, was always perhaps tricky if, if for people leaders to, to really link that sort of data with the sort of objectives that I've just been talking about. Um, 
However, there's a great opportunity here, though, in the digitization of the workplace. One thing that the digital world is not short of is data and very, very complete data across all people and across the whole business. So there's a potentially an overwhelming amount of data there, but that data can be used to really construct, uh, I believe, quite powerful business cases that link to those top-level C-suite objectives relating to the growth of the business. Thanks, Dave, for that. I think it's always really interesting. We always talk about getting buy-in and, and I suppose, trying to find out what would be a business winning case. So I think it's it's always really insightful to get an actual insight from somebody who, who sits in that position themselves. And I think this kind of brings us on really to the final question. So I think boards and leadership teams are probably going to have to be quite agile with their decision making. So Dave, and I'm going to come to you for this. How are you going about that? And what sort of things are you seeing out there? I think there's a couple of ideas here. I mean, one is, um, I mean, Harriet's talked about data. I've talked about data. I think, I think the audience here have not escaped the idea that data is quite important from here on in, inside the workplace. Uh, I think there's an idea very, very closely related to data, which is, you know, a moment ago, I, I was sort of stealing an idea from how businesses went about improving the, the journeys that they took customers on and applying that to the employee journeys. I'm going to steal another idea here from the uh, software development space. So the idea of, you use the word safely, agile. Agile comes out of the software development space. I mean, it's a, an incredibly powerful idea that um, in a very low-risk way speeds up the ability to execute on a path, a chosen path. Um, and I think data helps inform what that path is, which is part of what Harriet was talking about. But then um, the idea of agile, which... I mean, we, we're a software development business at our core, but we're also seeing this agile type thinking in some of the large enterprises that we work with day to day. Agile thinking is there. And the real key for me around agile thinking has always been whether it's software, applied to software, or applied to the development of the, the workplace for, for people. The, the fundamental idea of agile is, is, is tiny increments. You know, data that guides you in a direction, but agile guides you to make tiny increments of improvement and then look at the data again, work out whether actually that little increment in how you've adjusted a process or thinking or, or a journey. You've got data there, you've got a rich set of data, but the agile thinking is don't try and achieve the destination in one go, because uh, the destination is probably a vision that you have for business, but actually head in that direction in tiny increments. That's agile thinking, review the data, maybe in you know, a week-long or two-week increments, review the data, see what's happened, and then adjust and change, and then move on and do another increment, another increment. And actually, what we've we learned over the last 20 years in the software industry is you get to your destination far, far, far quicker by taking little baby steps and course correcting all the time on the data rather than try to boil the ocean and do quite big things all in one go. Just do them in little increments and you'll you'll achieve that destination far quicker. And I think in terms of you know your work, so if the agile, agile thinking out there. I think that's fundamentally what people are trying to do, what organisations are trying to do. Some are doing it better than others, but I think fundamentally that's the idea of agile thinking. 
I think that's definitely good food for thought to end on there around kind of the importance of reviewing the data, having a look at what's happened, but instead of taking big steps to kind of correct things and do things all in one go, your advice there around taking baby steps certainly sounds like the, the sensible route to take. But I'd just like to say a special thank you to Dave Page, Chief Executive Officer at Actual Experience, and Harriet Molyneux, Managing Director at HSM Advisory, for joining us today. To find out more about many of the topics discussed in this podcast, please head over to Actual Experience's full report, which is included in the article below. If you are interested to hear more from myself and actual experience, join us again in a few weeks' time where we will continue the discussions around the future of work and what it means for you. Unfortunately, that's all we do have time for today. HR Grapevine wouldn't exist without your continued readership and engagement with our content. So to find out more or to sign up to our daily content newsletter, which showcases solutions and best practice answers to all of your HR issues, please visit hrgrapevine.com.